Good morning, everybody. It's good to see your smiling faces. Are your faces smiling? Yeah, I think so. Our sermon focus this morning is on a person you might not know. His name is, and how many of you have heard of this? Gehazi. Everybody? How many spoke to him the other day? So for the most part, this is going to be an introduction into Gehazi. I hope you will be blessed by it. Uh, the sermon title, as you can see up there, Gehazi, so close and yet so far. That has a lesson for us, even in the theme. The Bible, the Bible says that names mean things. And Gehazi's name meant valley of vision. Valley of vision. And you'll see what that, how that works out in a little while. While you may not know his name, you may be familiar with an amazing Bible account involving the prophet Elisha and his unnamed servant. That's how he's addressed many times in Scripture. That unnamed servant was his longstanding servant, Gehazi. So now you know a little bit more about it. We paint a picture. Before we get to the actual account that I want to share with you this morning, I'd like to give you some historical background. It's always good to have a context, right? Because a text without a context is a pretext. Think about that. A text without a context is a pretext. You have to have some surrounding background information to get a sense of whether you're being told the truth or not. 2 Kings chapter 6 informs us that Syria and Israel have been at war for a long time. The king of Syria has plotted, he's planned, he's strategized, and some of those strategies were very sophisticated. But sometimes, in fact many times, every time his raids are executed, they are thwarted. It means that no matter how much positive and powerful thinking, how much strategic meetings they had, they seemed to not hit the mark. And the king finally discovered what the secret was. His plans had been revealed to the prophet Elijah by none other than God. Now what do you do? The king wants Elijah captured or killed. He sends out spies to find out where he is. And he finds out he's living and hiding out, so to speak, in the valley city of Dotham, 14 miles from Samaria. The king sends out a huge army of horse soldiers and chariots to surround Dotham. They travel by night, strategically positioning themselves on the ridge overlooking the city. It's surrounded by a ridge of mountains, and that's where the king has positioned his men. They have the high ground. Overlooking the city, as dawn casts its red and gold hues over the sleeping city, Elijah's servants, you now know as Gehazi, steps out of Elijah's tent, and he looks up. What did he see? That's found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 15 and 16 and 17. Here's what it says. And when the servant of the man of God, Gehazi, was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what are we going to do? 16, and he answered, fear not. I don't know about you, but if I saw that, I think I'd be shivering my timbers. Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. 17, and Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elijah. 
What happens next is even more amazing. Elijah prays that Syria's armies will be blinded. And God grants that miracle. In their blindness and in their confusion, they they follow the only guiding voice of authority they can hear. The only voice that can carry in the valley, the only voice that can speak with authority is not even the king. It's the prophet Elijah because he speaks for God. And he leads them all by himself out of the valley for the 14-mile journey to Samaria where the king of, of Israel, their enemy, is in residence. And boy, is he surprised. How many have ever seen the 1939 movie, um, Sergeant York? Anybody ever see the movie Sergeant York? Well, he captures hundreds of German soldiers and there's only about three men in his, in his platoon, and, they're, and they've got these guys following them. That's what this reminded me of, that kind of a march. So all of these folks are following Elijah. So uh, the king's first reaction is, kill him. Kill them all. Not bad, right, for a strategic military man. But here's what Elijah said. Feed them. And then let them go. Hmm. They eat. They leave. They got the point. And don't war against Israel for a very long time after that. But there's a backstory to the life of Gehazi before this account. And everybody in the room has a a past, right? He has a past. And it would be interesting to get that past so we have, again, a better perspective. And there's much to learn about him, his human nature, and ourselves. It could be summarized in the phrase, phrase, so close and yet so far. When it came to a relationship with God and the quality and character of a life being a follower of God, Gehazi came close but was so far from God, and that's the heart of today's lesson. Gehazi was servant for years to the man closest to God in Israel. He lived with, he ate with, he worked with, and he witnessed the miraculous events God worked through the prophet Elijah. And yet, Gehazi didn't get it. You can live in a Christian home and not be a Christian, right? Your parents may be Christians and you're not. Your spouse may be saved and you're lost. You may attend a great Bible-believing and loving church, be surrounded by believers, and not be a Christian. So near and yet so far. When you look in your own heart, what does that tell you this morning? Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ, not just here in the pews, not just inside the box, but when you leave this place, when I leave this place, what's my witness out there? Gehazi had been witness to the 32 miracles God performed through Elijah, and for him, it was more curiosity than life-changing reality Think about that. People just come and sit in their pews because this is what they've been doing all their life. There are people in churches today where the the Bible is not even opened. Can you imagine? The Bible is not even open. The pastor is giving poetry to them and giving them, uh, you know, uh, transcendental meditation and every day you're getting better and better and better. That kind of stuff. Why are those people sitting in those pews? Why have they rejected the idea that this book contains all the wisdom you're ever going to need? Why have they rejected the idea that some hellfire and brimstone is not a bad thing to receive? 
but an encouraging thing to receive. This unfortunate disconnect was experienced by the Apostle Paul when he was arrested on false charges of inciting riots against both the Jewish religion and the Roman government. He was brought before the Roman governor Festus and King Herod Agrippa II. Paul defended himself by sharing Christ and Christ's gospel. Festus calls Paul nuts. But Agrippa made a statement consistent with our lesson this morning. When Paul asked King, King Agrippa if he believes what Paul said about Jesus, here's what the king's response was in Acts 26, 28. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You can't be, and you are not an almost Christian. Amen? You either is or you ain't. Not only didn't Gehazi get it, but he was quietly undermining the good work Elijah was doing. It happens. Christian institutions, Christian colleges. There's a teacher who is teaching something that is completely off the radar as far as God's word is concerned. Undermining the very work of the university. Happens in churches. We can see that as we go back, the first appearance of Gehazi in the Old Testament and trace his story, we are introduced to him in 2 Kings 4.12, and it's in connection with a woman who's called a Shumanite. She lives in a place called Shuman. The Shumanite woman was always very hospitable to Elijah and Gehazi whenever they came to town. She would soon have a baby within the year. She does. She was so good that the prophet Elijah said, you're going to have a baby within a year, and she did. Several years later, the baby lay dying and dead. And the woman went looking for Elijah for help. We pick up the account in chapter 4, verses 25 to 27. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, Beyond, behold, yonder is that Shumanite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say to her, it is, is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with thy child? And she answered, it's well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, hugged his legs. But Gehazi came near to push her away. And the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. I don't know why she's here. I don't know why she's vexed. I don't know what the trouble is, but I'm going to find out. Don't bother her. He asked three personal questions. Is it well with you? The Holy Spirit would ask you that question this morning. Is it well with you? Is it well with your spouse? Is it well with your child? Her faith in God gave her a deep-seated peace and assurance that in the end, everything will be all right. She knew God worked miracles through this prophet, and her spirit told her God would work a miracle again. What Gehazi's reaction to a hurting woman whose son had just died? I mean, what would your reaction be? This bird's was different. Verse 27 of that text, which I didn't read, Gehazi demonstrates that he's cold-hearted and rude. Rudeness is the, in the presence of a woman's faith. Harshness in the face of Elijah's compassion. This guy was so off the radar, 
so far removed from what was actually happening at the moment, it's like he was someplace else in his mind. Didn't he see what was going on here? Didn't he have enough mercy and compassion and grace to be able to take this woman and embrace her as Elijah was going to do and let her know that, that there were people here who were her prayer partners, people who would love her and help her through this time? How many people have been pushed away from Christ and all he has to offer a hurting world by the insensitive words and actions of one who names the name of Christ? How many, how many times have you heard, well, I may like Jesus, but I don't like his followers? Have you heard that? I don't like what I see going on in, uh, in churches and ministries and people. You're just in it for the money and go on like that. Don't we have a biblical injunction to treat people with love and respect Romans 12, 10 says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Sometimes we forget we're dealing with people and in our good motives and that our good motives can be undermined by the way we treat them. Gossip, condemnation, criticism, and nagging. Think about it. Think about how you would feel if the people sitting next to you just decided to gossip about you. We think we're doing right, but our harsh self-righteous treatment is more than they can bear. Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Kings 4, 32 to 37 reads, Elijah went to the child's room where he prayed for him. Listen to this. After sneezing four times, the boy came back to life. God's got a sense of humor. But this boy came back to life. Another act involving Elijah demonstrates again how far Gehazi was from all the godly influence he was expected, to, he was exposed to. The account involves a powerful military commander named Naaman. How many have ever heard of the name Naaman? He was the one who contracted leprosy, and he could never find a cure. Naaman's wife had a young servant girl who recommended the commander seek out Elijah for healing. When they met, the prophet tells him, to wash in the muddy Jordan River seven times, and he'll be healed. And basically, Naaman says, I was ticked off. Basically, he says, that's too simple and just plain stupid. I was witnessing to a Buddhist once uh, over a period of time, and he basically said to me, your religion is too simple. It's just not sophisticated enough for me. Now, if you're a Buddhist, there is no God. It's a philosophy. You do know that. He's a tough military guy. For things to work out for him, they've got to be challenging. They've got to be complex. They've got to be difficult. So for people like that, the gospel is just too simple. Believe on Jesus. Put your faith and your trust that he came to this world to die knowing full well he died on that cross, he was buried in the ground for three days, and then he rose from the dead. This is the heart of the gospel. It's simple to believe. You know why? Because a lot of us people are simple. If it's so sophisticated, and if it's all about what we do, we won't get it. It's about what Jesus has done. And we need to get our minds around that. Well, the soldiers with Naaman challenge him, just do it. It's like chicken soup, it can't hurt. He goes in, he's immersed two times, three times, four times, five times, 
six times. He's about to leave because he's getting absolutely frustrated. I can see the water bubbling up right now. The seventh time, as the prophet told him, he came up healed. Healed. See, it's not a matter of the water. And it's not a matter of the dipping. It's a matter of believing. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in what Jesus did. Cleansed, Naaman's probably a polytheist. He, he, starts, he believes in more than one God. And this is what he proclaims, quote, There is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Healed and saved. He's so grateful he wants to pay Elijah, but Elijah refuses. You don't sell the gospel. Now enter Gehazi. 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 19 to 27 tells us what happened next. In verse 20, Gehazi saw an opportunity for financial gain from Elijah's ministry. How's that? Elijah serving people, not taking money from them, doing everything he can to minister to people from his heart. And this guy, his companion, the person who identifies with him, the person who will be, hey, that's Gehazi. Isn't he the fellow who works with Elijah? So while he's going about ruining his own reputation, he's carrying Elijah through the mud, amen? What happens when people on television, when they do the wrong thing, these TV evangelists, they're not hurting themselves, not only hurting their ministry, they're hurting the cause of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he saw an opportunity for financial gain from Elijah's ministry, and he had an open eye for seizing on a person's vulnerability. The powerful military leader was emotionally vulnerable. You'd never think he would be. You'd think he would be so tough that he wouldn't have gotten caught in this mess. But listen, the powerful, he's so powerful, but he doesn't realize that he's so emotional that he's being, that, that he's being uh, opened up to being used by Gehazi. He's just come from death. He's just come from being healed for a disease that was uncurable. And because of that, because of those emotions, he wants to give something back in return. That's when Gehazi had him. Elijah knew what God has to offer humanity is not for sale. Gehazi might have known that also, but he just didn't care. He was out for himself. The prophet Jeremiah warned that there were corrupt people associated with ministry from time to time. Jeremiah 6.13, for for from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetous, that's greed. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealt falsely. Keep your eyes open. There are greedy people trying to rip you off all the time. We know that. When your telephone rings and you pick it up, are you prepared to get ripped off? Amen, amen, amen. I know people in this congregation years ago who were ripped off because of a phone call like that. Beware. Be careful, be suspicious, ask questions. Don't just go along. So many people have been manipulated by TV ministries, by those phone calls I just talked about, who offer health and wealth if you send money to them. Meanwhile, they're the only ones getting wealthy. And, they're not, and that's not healthy. But Gehazi didn't need TV or Facebook or Twitter to rip off Naaman and get rich. Verse 22, Gehazi lied to Naaman to get his money. That's how it works. You're lied to to get your money. 
And folks, we are being lied to by so many people, we don't even know what the truth is anymore. We don't, need, we don't know how to discover the truth outside of God's word. This is the only book that you can trust. This is the only truth that you can trust. It's been truthful for ever, ever since it was first written. Two talents of silver, or silver are taken from Naaman. That's, ton, that's tens of thousands of dollars in today's money. Verse 25, Gehazi lied to Elijah to cover up his previous lie. One sin always leads to another. In his intense study of Adolf Hitler, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill says he operated with, quote, one primary assumption. Any given foreign policy statement made by Hitler was the exact opposite of truth. The world paid a terrible price for Hitler's lies. Gehazi paid a terrible price for his lies. Verse 27, as a result of his sin, Gehazi was struck with leprosy. The consequences of his wrongdoing became his children's inheritance. Bible teacher A.W. Tozer writes on page 95 of his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, quote, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. It hushes their fears and allows them to practice all pleasant forms of iniquity while death draws, draws every day nearer and the command to repent goes unheeded. We don't tell people of the consequences. There is a hell to shun. There is a heaven to gain. And not to tell people those truths is doing a great disservice because they're going to be in hell. God is a holy, sovereign, just, and righteous God. He doesn't gloss over sin. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die on a cross to pay the price for our sin. He didn't say, okay, you're all sinners and you're all dead. He said, you're sinners, recognize it, repent of it. I've made a way out. I've made a way for you. It's not something impossible that you can't do because with God, all things are possible. He made the way possible for you to have a relationship with God. Sin has consequences that are both here and now and in eternity because sin casts a long shadow. In the here and now, Gehadi's sin had stolen his health. But on the eternity side of the equation, God was waiting to restore Gehazi to full fellowship with him. And in time, Gehazi came home to God. James 4, 8 and 10. Draw nigh, come near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. When you fall flat on your face... God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God wants to lift you up. God wants to take you out of the mud. He wants to dust you off. He wants to put your feet on the right track. He just doesn't want to leave you on the face in the mud. There are lessons from Gehazi's story. There are times in the believer's life when we can be so far from God or grown cold and indifferent. As you sit here this morning, what's the temperature in your life? as it relates to your relationship with Jesus. Are you hot? Are you cold? Are you indifferent? Time for self-examination. No sense of urgency to study God's word. No passion to talk to people. 
No passion to talk to God in prayer. No burning desire to be with God's people. A reality check. Without God's word, without prayer, without fellowship, when believers, with believers, you will grow cold and you will stay cold. Ask the Lord to break your cold snap. Keep praying the Holy Spirit will break the ice in your relationship with God. To the unbeliever who sits on the fence, the question you must answer is, why are you on the fence? Why? You say, well, there's no evidence. for I tell you, sit with me for about an hour. I will give you plenty of evidence to prove to you, prove to you, to demonstrate to you that there is a God. Prove it. I don't have a test tube that will do that. But give you the evidence for you to be able to make a decision? Yes, there's plenty of that. Here's the question you have to ask yourself, unbeliever. Where will you spend your forever afterlife? In heaven or in hell? Where do you want to spend it? Choice is up to you, not me. All I can do is stand here and tell you. It's up to you to pick up the gauntlet. If you have questions, there are answers. Fire away. If you have doubts, God invites you to talk about them. Gehazi's story tells anybody and everybody, no matter how far you've drifted from the Lord, you can come home again. Amen? Don't stand away from the Lord. Come home. Those who are here, those who are listening or watching this morning, I would encourage you to pick up the gauntlet of this message. If, you are, if your temperature is cold and indifferent toward the Lord, this is not a time of life where that can go on. We need Christians who are on fire because when you're on fire, you're going to be excited to tell people about Jesus. If you're indifferent, you'll just keep your mouth shut. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank you for the privilege we have to be able to open the book, still preach the truth, and still be able to reach people for Christ inside the box and outside the box. We pray, Father, a blessing this morning on those who are here and those who are watching or listening. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.